I want to invite you to the book of Psalms. Psalm 42, in particular, we will look at this morning. Dr. Paul Brand was a physician, served as a medical missionary in faraway land. I think it was India, perhaps. And his mission was to help the lepers, to help them ease the pain and or help them in their uh, in in their condition of leprosy. And he and Philip Yancey, I believe around 2005, wrote an interesting book that I read, and it kind of stuck with me. It was called The Gift of Pain. Leprosy, as you know, is a deadening of the sensation within the body to feel pain, and so therefore people with leprosy uh, don't know when something's hot or cold and they can't, or when they hurt themselves. So they continually are hurting their limbs, which uh, creates, uh, creates a real problem for them. And Paul Brand concluded that pain is there for us to listen to. It says something. It says something's not right. Now we know that to be true in the physical pain. How about emotional and spiritual pain? Um, it's true. Uh, we don't welcome pain. Pain is one of those discontenting and disquieting parts of life. And it's easy to surmise that in the pain, where is God? Where is, where is God when you're deeply hurting? Or when there's a longing that's unfulfilled? Reminded of a story of four or five young ladies that worked in a business office. and They were all wondering who was going to be the first out of their group of work associates to be married. So finally one day a young lady came in and she was wearing a huge rock. And she said, look. And of course, all the girls came around her and they said, oh, my, my, this is so beautiful. This is such, such a wonderful thing. It looks like you're going to be the first, and et cetera, et cetera. And they said, well, what do you have to say about it? She said, you know, you just can't improve on love. And one young lady said, huh, I'd like to get in on it. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of that's kind of how you feel sometimes. I mean, there's a sometimes you maybe feel left out. Um, how do you do? How do you deal with these things? And and where is God in it? And how do you process it? And how do you pursue Him in that the depth of pain? Because there's varying degrees of pain that we feel in in our lives. And does the Bible have anything to say about it? Well, you asked the wrong person today. Uh, yes. Matter of fact, one of the things I love about the Psalms is that they're just so real. And sometimes they're just so, I mean, how do you say it? They're just raw. They're real. Dealing with the human condition. And, you know, if we could just take a, I took a class, literally, in, in my doctoral studies on the philosophical problem of pain. I'm like, well, I don't have to have a philosophy degree to understand it. You know, we look around and we live in a world is that, that we deal with pain. Think about this. world is filled with pestilences, uh, viruses, 
all kinds of things that, that we run in fear of, natural disasters, swarms of locusts, earthquakes, tornadoes, and we call all of these acts of God, don't we? We call a lot of these things, especially as it relates to natural disasters. So we, we recognize that even in the world external of ourselves, that something is not exactly right. Something is not exactly running right. No, it's the world around us, and then we look at our own lives, and we look at... We look at uh, physical pain that we deal with and you know you have physical pain you 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 run to the doctor you run the emergency room you you want to find out the source of the pain a pain demands our attention it, i mean it costs to be attended to uh it, it says something is not right there there's something that is not right and and that's what paul brand was talking about he said the pain was there for a reason he said there's a lot of people that would would really love to have the gift of pain. In other words, to know that they could feel, especially the physical sensations. And, and, and pain is there even on an emotional level. We deal with pain when we're in, there's an, a loss or there's grief and there's, there's sorrow of heart or sadness, the loss of a loved one. Think about interpersonal issues that can be a source of pain, conflicts. Uh, interpersonal issues of, of not being able to get along or not seeing eye to eye or not having understanding or not having trust or it, they may even derive from the reality of our own existence. We have longings in our heart. We have desires and we want to see things come to pass in our lives and things don't come to pass so it becomes an issue of pain. And the, the, real, the real question is what do you do with that? What, what do you do with that pain? Many people have concluded that since there is such a complexity of pain that um, God obviously to be good and omnipotent is not real. I mean, that, that, so the atheist concludes that. And yet, but what if, there is a, what if there is another solution? And I believe there is. What if there is another reality? C.S. Lewis said it was pain was God's megaphone. It arouses a deaf world. In other words, it causes us to pay attention to something. It causes us to take a look at something. There's something that is disquieting within ourselves. And this, this disquieting reality, uh, Psalm 42 deals with it. Now you're going to look at this and you're going you're gonna, to... If you only had one chapter of the Bible to look at and you were handed Psalm 42, what you would conclude is, is that there's way more questions than there are answers. Because the writers of this psalm actually ask a whole lot of questions. But I want you to notice how they direct the questions. There's an importance in how they direct the questions that they are asking and to whom they direct the questions their questions also what we find is that there's one central truth that the, that the psalmist here go back to 
So when we kind of look at this, there are only 11 verses in this. But this psalm, these psalms were used uh, for temple worship. They were used in the worship, in the worship service. And they would be, would be sung. We would say, well, this, is, uh, uh, this, this psalm honestly should relate to any millennial today that questions, where is God in my pain? Where is God in my questions? Where is God in my heartaches? Where is God in my longings? Where is God and should I pursue Him in that? I want to make a suggestion today that in, if you're dealing with pain, that is a prime opportunity for you to pursue God. It's not a prime opportunity to quit church or just say, well, I've tried that and there's just too much pain. It is actually just the opposite. It is an opportunity for us to press into God and to lean into the reality of truth that is eternal. So that's what we're going to look at this morning as we look at this psalm. So if you look at verse 5, verse 5 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And, and why are you, and we don't use this word, but I know the, what the word quiet means. I see it posted in the halls of hospitals and in libraries. And it's like this, shh, be quiet, quiet. There's healing going on here. He says, why are you disquieted, dis meaning not? Why is there not a quietness within me? You say, well, I'm sitting still, but that doesn't mean you are still. It is disquieting, disquieting. I, I find that word intriguing. NIV calls it disturbed. New Living Translation says to sad. Turmoil has one translation, restless and troubled. This was a psalmist. These were people that had a relationship with God. It says, why are you disquieted within me? And then the one anchor, it's like, it's like this, and I want you to think of it like this. You'll, you'll see me kind of walk around here. But it's like this. There's one firm truth that you stand on, and that's this verse. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance or the help of His presence. That's the truth you anchor in on. So the mind is disquieted. Over here, it's disquieted. It's running. The emotions are running. Maybe even raging. You find yourself restless within. Troubled within. Disquieting. How do you deal with it? Well, and how do you pursue God in that? Let's look at that. Now I want you to back up and look at verse 1. And I want you to see this and I want us to look at it together. Psalm 42. This psalm is, is the one of a beginning of, of psalms that many times that were sung on the way perhaps to the temple. In other words, it was like this. The children, of, uh, the, the Jewish people would gather from all their communities and they would gather from all their villages and they would make a pilgrimage once a year to the temple. And they would sing psalms 
and there would be a celebration along the way. It was a big time of celebration. And they would gather together, and the anticipation is that God would come in the temple in all of his power and glory, in the Shekinah of his glory, would come and fill the temple. And as God would come and fill the temple, there would be celebration of the reality of the presence of God in their midst. In other words, when they went to temple, they were looking for God. They were looking for his glory. They were anticipating God being among them. Why? Because they were his covenant people. And they were his covenant, he, they were covenant children, and he was the covenant-making God who dwelled among them. And they had this rich history of how he delivered, how God delivered them from Pharaoh and from Egypt and from the bondage of sin. They had this rich history that they celebrated, that they enjoyed. It was their identity as a nation. And it was all encompassed in, in the reality of these symbols of, of, uh, of, of going to the temple and God showing up. And indeed, God did show up in temple. And His glory would fill this temple. They, they recognized that they were in a unique setting among other nations as it related to this God who dwelt in their midst. Very powerful reality. The sons of Korah, the, the scripture says, as the deer pants. This, these psalms were written as contemplations. In other words, they were reflecting. They were written as contemplations by the sons of Korah. Now, these were the descendants of Korah who actually had led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron back in the Old Testament. They were trying to subvert and to lead a rebellion. But... As generations passed, the lineage, God was gracious and merciful. There was the sons of Korah who were probably uh, several generations removed from the rebellious group who were a remnant who were warriors alongside with David, the king, as well as they would serve in the tabernacle. They were doorkeepers of the temple. They were doorkeepers. They handed out the bulletins. Right? Welcome to service today. Right? And uh, they made the coffee. Right? Yeah. They, they, they provided a few little things as you go in the tent. I don't know if they had, well, I don't know what kind of brand of coffee they had back then, but uh, uh, it's good, right? You think, of, man, I like this coffee stuff. I do too. But they were the doorkeepers, and they were the ones that prepared for worship, and they were the ones that wrote the worship music. You know, they were the, they were the ones, they wrote the worship songs that would be sung in the temple. The sons of Korah, I mean, they were, and so there were musicians in this group, you know. Um, I couldn't imagine any of them being any, you know, any better than anybody in our band. You know, they were good. Uh, this was something that these folks led in the worship of Yahweh, the worship of God. And so they write, notice what they write in verse 1. 
and two. As the deer pants for the water, you get the picture out there. Out here in this desert land, and this deer is panting. And I, I could see it in Hollywood movie form. This deer is is kind of is kind of panting, and you can see the you can see the fog coming from his nostrils. You know, boiling out there. He's he says he's panting. My soul is panting for you, oh God. Yeah, you see that. Ah. In other words, the very first place that they turn is they turn to God. And he's like, my soul is not getting, is, is, is longing for you. In other words, we can't wait till we get to the temple and worship. Because there's something that happens in worship, right? I mean, there's something that is a divine interchange, that happens in, in our soul in communion with the living God and in covenant relationship. He says, I, I can't wait like, a, like the deer that is panting for the brook, the quiet brook that is refreshing. My soul is longing for you, O oh God. It's matter of fact, thirsty. My mouth is parched and dry for the living God. Not just for an idol that is made by the hands of men and we gather around it and we admire it and we live for it and we dance around it and we make it our celebration. No, like the golden calf. No, we long for the God who is living. Living. In other words, we are not looking for the things around us that claim to be God's. And claim to offer the satisfaction and claim to bring fulfillment and claim all of this. We are looking for the living God. You have to look for the living God. When you search for Him with all your heart, the Bible says you will do what? Not be disappointed. You will find Him. You've got to look in the right places. And He's saying this, When shall I come and appear before God? When are you going to hear, O oh Lord? Here's one of the first questions. Now look at the next verse. The next verse, 3, says, My tears, my tears have been my food day and night. In other words, I am so messed up on the inside that I can't eat or, I can't eat or drink. My tears fall down the side of my face and they become my food. This is pretty rough. And while they can, and they can't continually say to me, "Don't you know that these tears are accusing you, God? Where are you? Where are you in my tears?" Now, is this real or what? And then I begin to think about it, he says, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. In other words, everything within me that is festered up, everything that is within me that is disquieted, everything within me that is, 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 is there right at the surface just kind of erupts in this explosion of tears and questions and where and when. You ever felt that way? Well, you're in company. 
Welcome to Humanity 101. Because at varying degrees in your life, in various stages of life, you will deal with, with all of these things from an emotional standpoint. And I want you to know that when you deal with this from an emotional standpoint, you better know what your theology is because it will surface really fast. In other words, what am I saying? I'm saying you better know what you believe to be true about God. Because there will be a time that everything that you've been taught in Sunday school or you've thought, been taught as a child, you're going to say, it's not going to resonate in your emotions and you're going, to, you're going to tend to believe your emotions over what you know is true. And that's why it is so important to know what is true. Because your emotions will have you here and there and everywhere. You will be so disquieted, you will have to have an anchor that is outside yourself. And what is, or you will have to have an anchor that's holding you outside of yourself that you lean into. But the truth is, is there is a hope and a foundation. Now here's the first, here's the first point on this that I want us to look at. When the disquieting times come, and they do, it reveals a deeper spiritual thirst, and those, the, that spiritual thirst is an opportunity for you to pour out your soul in pursuit, notice this, of God's face. They are seeking the face of God. Now, I'll, I'll just be honest with you. I seek God's hand most of the time. What am I saying, Greg? In other words, I just want God to come fix it. How about you? There's something that's not right. There's a disquieting situation. There's a dis troubling. There's trouble. I just want God to come in and step in and fix it. But notice here, they took it a step further. They said, I want God's presence. I want to seek the face of God. I just don't want to seek the hand of God. I want to seek the face of God. And when you seek the face of God... And that is you want to look God face to face and just say, you want to pour that heart out to Him. And you want that as an opportunity for His presence to come in and fill your life with His goodness and His grace. Some of the greatest opportunities and growing times in your life will be not in times of pleasure, but will be in times of a depth of pain in your heart that you knew that there was only God that you could lean on. You been there? Most of us that have lived for any amount of time have been. You see, when you're during, in those times, you say, well, it's always this way. That's not true. It's not always this way. Well, I'm in pain and it's always been. That's all there's ever been is pain, pain, pain. No, that's your emotions talking and it's not true. Ever since, you know, you could write the songs, you know. They call it Stormy Monday. Tuesday's sad. Wednesday's oh so sad. Thursday's oh oh sad. Friday, uh, you know, Friday the eagle flies and Saturday I go out and play and then Sunday I go to church and he pulls out the page of the book of common prayer and I get on my knees and I pray and I pray, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy on me. Right? Stormy Monday, T-Bone Walker. Right? 1947. You know, at least you're going to church and you're praying. And my thought this morning is, 
is where do people that have not God to turn to, what do they turn to? Look at your culture and you see. It's right as, right as current as your morning newspaper or your newsfeed. It's quieted. So it's an opportunity. Notice this. These, these things that you're longing for in your life, the direction of your life, the goals of your life, what you want and long for, God knows about them. He knows. He knows what they are. And these are opportunities for you to pour them out to God. In other words, when you're saying in your, and your emotions are saying, where are you, O oh God? You go back to verse 5. I hope is in the Lord. My hope is in the Lord. Now I want you to notice the second one here as we, as we look at this. Because disquieting times not only reveal a deeper spiritual thirst, but I want you to look at this one. Disquieting times remind us of happier times on the pilgrim way. We can remember those. He says, I used to go with the multitude. I used to go to, I used to ride, I used to, yeah, I would, I would take the bus to, to, to the holy city and we would go there and we would worship together and it was fun. It was fun. Oh, I, how I long for the good old days. How, you ever remember when? You, some of you ever remember some of the good old days? Huh? Remember the good old days when? And, uh, and, and he says, with, with the voice of joy and praise, the multitude kept, kept the pil pilgrim feast. In other words, it was just a happy occasion. And we, we did that together. And you, you know, we just attended. We have a tendency to take those times for granted, don't we? I do. But when pain comes in your life, you remember, it kind of becomes a backdrop. You say, oh yeah, I remember that seems so far away, but I remember that was such a good time in our family. And it will say it when such and such was living and when, you know, when, when everything was just easier, it seemed, and, 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 and there was less to, to be distracted by in a turmoil. Notice this, disquieting time reminds us of happier times. It should remind us to be thankful. Be thankful. He says, we used to go on this pilgrim journey together. In other words, this is something he longed to do, perhaps. Or it was something in discouragement. He said, you know what, I just can't go this year. I just can't go this time. You know, it just saddens me to think that so many hurting people, and I'm talking about folks of people of faith, get stuck in pain. They, they, can't, they can't make it in their mind to think that they could even muster enough emotional strength to be in God's house or among God's people and being in a worshiping environment. It's a, it's a, it's a depth, it's a depth of, of heartache and, and questions that, that just doesn't resonate. And some of you here are here today, but you, hear, you force yourself to be here in a sense that you say, I need to be in church, but you struggle with it on the emotional level. That's real. Here it is. It's the disquieting times that remind us, though, of happier times. You say, well, I'm still pressing in on God. You know, just sometimes showing up is a big deal. Somebody ought to say amen to that. Sometimes just showing up is a big deal. Just being there. Because sometimes you're not going to have the, all this great joy in, in getting ready. You know, kids are arguing and, you know, you don't feel too godly. Right? You feel depressed, you feel, you know, despondent, and, 
and, and, and yet you go anyhow. And why? Because you know that you know that you know that your will is being activated by a greater truth within you, and that is the truth and reality of who God is. And God may show up in a, in a worship song, or somebody's testimony, or a hug, or a warm greeting, or a smile, or a sermon. And give your soul one little bit of a three-second nugget that sustains you through a whole week or two weeks. That's why. That's why. So this disquieting time are, are opportunities to, to us to remember, remember that they are only temporary. These, these things that you go through are only temporary. Watch out the never language. It's never going to be any better. That's not true. It's always been this way. That's not true either. And you begin, to, you begin to get a different perspective. You get a more realistic perspective on what it means to have a relationship with God. Here's number three. Number three is this. In disquieting times, recall the truth of God's nature and ask yourself the right questions. Now, I want you to look at verses 5 and 6. I, I want you to get that down, okay? Because that's the anchor right there it is. God's sovereign purposes in our lives and His sustaining presence. And in disquieting times, you have to recall, deliberately recall, and ask the nature of God and ask yourself the right questions. Now, I'll just be honest with you. Most of the time when I ask questions, I ask why questions. I ask why questions to who? God. But I want you to notice the direction of the why question. This thing just hit me off the page here as I was studying this thing out this past week. Notice what he asked. He says, why are you downcast? Go to the next one. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why are you down? Not, notice where he's asking the why question, okay? You see it? He's asking the why question on not why God are you allowing this into my life, but why are you, O oh my soul, disquieted within me? Right? You get it? Why are you disquieted and why are you down and why are you despondent? Why are you troubled? Why are you disquieted within you? Your hope is in, say it, God. For I shall yet praise Him, but I don't. This didn't come out of the depth of emotion. This came out of a depth of truth. For I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance or His presence. In other words, out of all of that, He's saying, God, You have sovereign purposes in Your wisdom and in Your ways that are above me. And when I've asked you to remove, or I've asked you to intervene, or I've asked you to fulfill, I've asked you to, to, to minister in this depth in my heart, yet what I know in the, in the disparity between the two and the reality of where I am in, in the reality, and I don't deny that. And where I am, I know there is a foundation of truth that I settle my feet on. 
And we used to sing this old song, I got my foot on the rock and my mind's made up. I've got a made up mind. That there's no other solution, that there's no other place to turn other than to the living God who works out His purposes and His plan in His timing and in His ways. Lord, have mercy and help me to trust. Help me to trust. Hope in God. And so I will lift my hands in worship or I will praise Him with my lips. I will offer thanksgiving and praise to my God. Why? Because He's the very foundation of my life and the sustainment of my soul. Powerful truth. Now I want you to look at the next one. Deep cause into deep. It's like a cataract of waterfall that's roaring. At the noise of your waterfalls, all your waves and billows, they've gone all over me. I am, I am now overwhelmed, he says. The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night His song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Here it is. We see now this interchange of His soul. And, and, and we, this psalmist is really is so cool. He is, he is letting us look inside of his heart to see the reality of it. He says, deep calls to deep. Now I want to tell you, there's, there's a couple things that you need. And this, this verse kind of points it out. And it's this. It's these things. See, in disquieting, disquieting times can overwhelm your soul. So recite, recite the Lord's promises by day and sing His songs in the night. Why? Promises by day. When your mind is active. When your mind is engaged. When your mind is alert. You recall His promises in the day and that is in... Reciting His Word. Know the promises of God. Get in the Bible. Find them. They're there. Sing His songs in the night. In other words, when you lay your head down on the bed, make sure that you got something good going on in your brain. <laughs> right? If not, what happens to your sleep? That disquieted soul does what? It rumbles and roars. Keeps you away. In other words, he's saying that during this disquieting time, I recite the Lord's promises. But here's my routine. Here is my routine. Matt, maybe that's better. Here is my routine. I routinely go to God's Word, and I routinely have His song on my heart. You ever get a song in your head? Huh? Come on, somebody talk to me. You ever get a song in your head? I mean, it just kind of goes over. You know, these, these marketers figure that out and they have little jingles to go with them. And you get those little jingles in your head and you don't know why they're there, but they're there. And you can't shut them off. Have you ever do that? Uh, you know, you just need, need to change the tune a little bit. You know, right? Just, just put the tune in there. And I could imagine it with Chris Rose doing a cool guitar lick in it. You know? <laughs> right, Chris? I could, I could do it, you know? 
It speaks to the music in me, man. It speaks to the music in me. So, you, you know, you, you recite the Lord's promises by day and sing His songs in the night. That's your routine. There's morning devotions, there's evening devotions. Book of Common Prayer has morning devotions and evening devotions. There have time, in other words, when you awaken the day and you start your day, and when you go to bed, you, you, have, you begin it and you end it with who? God. It's your routine. Do you have a routine? That's a good question. That's a very practical question. This is something that you could take from this service today and go out and just say, okay, what's my morning routine and with God and what is my evening routine? And I think what you'll do is if you establish a routine that includes God in it, includes your mind being refreshed in it, if you have to get a God app, do it, you know, to remind you of having your time with God or at least thinking on God or thinking on His Word, then you do that. You begin your day and you end your day. You bookend your day with God. And then all, what you'll find is all the other times in between, you'll be conscious and aware of God at work in your life. So in disquieting times that overwhelm your soul, recite the Lord's promises. Recite them religiously. Yes, become religious. You heard that. Why? Because there's a relationship there. Now, I want to tell you, this stuff can really help you if you take it to heart. Disquieting times, lastly, is this. Disquieting times not only overwhelm the soul, but disquieting times are an opportunity for yourself to be reminded of the loving, con loving kindness of God. Isn't it easy for us to accuse God of just being harsh? And we don't say that. We wouldn't dare verbalize it. People don't understand it. Yeah, I mean, you really run the risk of feeling misunderstood. Unless you've got a real, real good friend that just says, what, what is it? But, but notice, notice here, there's a truth and a hope that settles you. And it's settled in something personal, and that is the loving kindness of God. And I would say loving kindness is the loving kindnesses of God. So he recognized the truth that the very air and breath he breathed was a gift from God. That there was a multitude of other blessings that remind us, that, is, that stands as evidence that God is good, and that God is worthy and God is love and God is personal. There, there's, there's all kinds of, and it's all there. It's, there's evidence there of it all that, that God is on the scene in your life. So here's, here's the big idea of this message. Amidst, amidst all of this, Amidst the disquieting realities of life, confidently and expectantly 
pursue God's presence and His purposes. Because I can tell you this, and as the Scripture says here, when things are not going so good, there is still a good God who's up to something good. You may not see it, and you may never see it. It may be in eternity. You see, I want you to think about what the Scripture says and what the Christian worldview is, and is that, yes, there is a world that is filled with harsh realities, disquieting, disturbing, sad. We don't live in a Pollyannish world that says, oh, there's no troubles in my life. No. We recognize what they are. But we just recognize that there's a greater truth that is the foundation for us. And I want to tell you, it is the truth that will stand when everything else falls apart. So therefore the, the psalmist said, hope in God. Hope in Him. Hope is this firm, confident expectation that a God who is good is going to do good. We don't have to see it. We can't explain it. We don't understand it. It may be a mystery into our mind, but it is not a mystery in the counsels of God Himself. So what do you do? When your emotions are disquieted, you go back to the truth. And some of you need to say that. You say, I've been dealing with this over here. You can, point, you can pinpoint As I've been talking about this, you've been saying, yeah, this over here. Yep, over there. Yep, that thing over there. Yep, that's me. You've got some practical stuff. Lean into it. Nobody can make you do this, by the way. Lean into it. How do you do that? Sometimes it's showing up. Sometimes it's developing some routines. Sometimes it's saying, yeah, I know what I feel, and God understands that, but here's a greater truth, and I'm going to let this truth sink into my life and my experience because here's what I believe to be true about God. And instead of asking God why, I'm going to ask myself, why are you disquieted within me, oh, Greg? Why are you, why are you, I need to step out and talk to myself sometimes. Why are you disquieted, Greg? You ever need to give yourself a talking to? Huh? Why are you, you know, and you step out and you say, instead of saying, oh man, I, here's what I do. Right, this is me, okay, oh man. You know? And sometimes it arises within me. And I step out of here. What are you thinking about, Greg? Don't you know better? Do you know that you preach this stuff? You ought to know better than that. You know, if you ain't doing any better than this, Greg, why are you, I mean, what, you know? And I start thinking, yeah, you're right. Sometimes I need a good talking to. And that's why people have personal coaches. Well, I moan. <laughs> That'll save you some money, by the way. Right? You need to, that's why you got to, listen, if you don't have the barrage of truth, you don't have, a, you don't have that in, in, in your mind, then your emotions just go everywhere. And that's why you're up and down in your relationship with God, and that's why you're trying to hear and there, and this, you're just kind of in and out and kind of 
up and down and everything. Your life's just like this one big emotional roller coaster, and it's here one day and there one day. You know, it's everywhere, and it does go there, but when the truth settles you, the truth settles you. So I want to I just encourage you this morning. If you're here and you're dealing with pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain, you have a God who cares about you. You have a God who loves you. Matter of fact, He desires you. And, and that pain is an opportunity for you to go to Him and say, Lord, you know my heart. You know my anger. You know, you know my struggles. You know everything about me. And I'm just giving it all to you. I'm not giving anything to you you don't already know about. But I'm here coming today as a reaffirmation. Now listen. If you've ever wondered where God is in pain, go to a garden. Go to Gethsemane. Go to Calvary. The reality of the reality that God comes down and bears our burdens. I'm telling you, you're not alone. Don't believe the lie that you are. Don't, don't believe the lie that God is just being harsh with you. But rather lean into His loving kindness. Don't believe the lie that you can't be forgiven of times that you have gone out of His will. You're not too far gone. Don't, don't, don't give in to the pressure of emotion that leads your mind in so many different directions. Trust in God. Hope in Him. Hope in Him. Let's bow for prayer. Our praise band is going to come. I, I don't know your pain. Everybody's pain is different. I don't know what you find yourself disquieted with. But there is a God who can quiet your heart. He can quiet your heart. And you can trust Him. We're getting ready to prepare for communion. It's a wonderful time, honestly, to remember what not only what Jesus did for us, but His very life within us. You may have need this morning that you just need to bring it to Jesus. Do that. Do that. You, you can bring it to Him and you can pursue Him in the pain. And you can say, Lord, take this and don't allow it to be wasted in my life, but uh, allow it to mold me like Christ. To be like Him. The good news is He does. He will. God places His arms around you and loves you. Because that's who He is. It's just who He is. I want to pray for you this morning. And know that in the quietness of this moment, there's a refreshing brook for the soul that is panting for God.
you have a spiritual need in your life. Maybe you've never trusted Christ as Savior and Lord. Then that's the place to begin. Come to Him. Come to Him. I want our ushers to come, our elders to come, and they're going to have communion available. And I'm going to pray here in just a second. But if you want to come here in just a second and share in communion, then you do that. You've trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord. You love Him and He loves you. Maybe, maybe you've got a burden on your heart. You say, well, I just don't feel worthy. Oh. If you've come to Christ, you're worthy. You're worthy through Him. You can spend time at the altar and pray and then take communion if you'd like. But whatever the need of your heart, know that God's here. Let us pray together. Father, we are thankful that you are the God who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. You know our weaknesses. You know our pain. You know what disquiets our soul. Give us grace and strength to pursue you with all of our heart. The living God, we pray. And we give ourselves to you afresh and anew this day. Father, for those here this morning who are struggling, I just ask that the power of your presence would overshadow them. And give them a grace and strength. And yes, Lord, indeed have mercy. As you have done in so many times and ways for Jesus' sake. Together, we thank you for the bread that we will partake of. That represents your broken body. We thank you for the cup. that we drink and know that it is a cup that was bitter for you but was blessing for us give us your grace as we receive your gifts in Jesus name